Welcome to a special edition non-weekly episode of the Watson Weekly. This is the start of a new series where every few months we'll be doing interviews with a series of interesting people in the space. I get asked time to time about having guests on the show as it would allow me to do a little bit deeper dive on topics that perhaps I only have a few minutes to cover in a typical show. Next week's guest is none other than Bill Williams. Bill is the founder and CEO of a firm called BWG Strategy, which connects industry professionals in e-commerce, technology, and other areas, and investment analysts who would like to learn more about the industry. They host thousands of calls per year across all sorts of interesting e-commerce topics, such as advertising, payments, and supply chain. This episode dives into his background, an overview of the firm, as well as a few key areas of e-commerce related to advertising and payments. Bill, glad to have you on the program. Thank you, Rick. Honored to be here. You know, I mentioned that you were the CEO and founder of BWG Strategy, and it looks like you had a career before that time, and you were involved in equity markets, including hedge funds and institutional investing. What does that even mean? Relative to my background, I was just shy of 20 years of experience in financial markets. My time was spent in research, research sales, as well as asset management. About half the time was split on the sell side, where we serviced investors, and the other side where I was manager and fiduciary of other people's money, including the long short products that I ran. Essentially, I was always focused on research of technology stocks, including e-com, sales of the various products of the firms that I worked at, including their technology research, and then asset management within the same domains as well. And that sort of led me to the formation of BWG strategy, which will probably be the next question. Yeah. And that, that, that's a good segue. You, you founded BWG strategy in 2013 off of the back of a 20-year Wall Street career, that's that's quite a leap. And what was the key insight for you that led to the formation of the firm? So as a lot of your listeners are probably aware, either as an expert or a consumer of expert insights, there's these little things called expert networks. There's some large well-known ones such as GLG and others that conduct and put together experts with those that want to consume those insights. They're all thriving businesses today, but if you rewind about 10 years, there was a lot of pain points for institutional investors to be able to engage with experts in one-on-one calls with compensation tied to it. That is how I define expert networks. Uh, The service provider putting someone like Griff Watson in front of somebody that wants to consume it. They pay you They get paid by the other party, and the expert network makes the margin on the difference. So my business formation was to be the anti-expert network. Uh, We wanted to do everything in group calls. We don't uh, coordinate one-on-one calls, and we also don't compensate executives. So I checked those two boxes from a chief compliance officer and from a council standpoint, and that's allowed us to do 13,000 events with the highest integrity and with clean compliance and legal. 13,000 events? 13,000 events since July of 2013. I'm trying to figure out, do you sleep? (laughs) So if you think about the structure of BWG, we have two main divisions. BWG strategy, where we host the calls, like yourself, Rick has participated in a group social commerce call. 
Rick was kind enough to allow me to host him for a single executive call as well. Our subscriber is the one that pays our subscription fee, or i.e. the paywall, to listen to the BWG, lack of better words, broadcast channel. Those listeners are buy-side public equity investors. So the environment that we're trying to provide is one where you, the expert, gets ROI on their time, meaning you're alongside of brands, merchants, fellow e-com consultancies to where hopefully you want to gain value in your time by being alongside a relevant peer group. And our subscribers want to hear insights from a great group of executives to be able to draw and pick up different trend lines. So we're not compensating executives. We're not coordinating one-on-one calls. We do this high-velocity schedule of events where you, the participant, gain value and ROI on time. And then on the back end, I always think about everyone personally or professionally cares about jobs hiring or hitting a KPI of pipeline. And uh, the other part of our flywheel is that we open up our community to industry executives, right? So solve for creating the value prop of you all contributing your time in a no cost of content, satisfying uh, subscriber needs of that they're getting high integrity, high touch point in a real time primary research channel check. And we're doing it in a way that complies with chief compliance officer and general councils. And relative to your thing with how many events that we do, we have six moderators that each moderate their schedule of events under BWG strategy. And uh, and then a separate division, which we don't need to get into right now, but is BWG Connect, rather than doing events on the BWG strategy side to satisfy the needs and value that we're proposing to the subscriber, BWG Connect does it for vendors and service providers who want to leverage our community for lead gen. Got it. Two parts there. Yeah. So just to play that back, you have kind of two sides. One is BWG strategy, which is the customer. And that side is really the investment analysts. They're trying to understand sort of the feet on the ground their perspective of what's happening in this crazy thing we call e-commerce. That is correct. And then on the other side, DBWG Connect, you have service providers that are looking to talk to or get feedback from all the brand relationships that you guys have just as part of your network and that participate on the other side of the business. That is correct. BWG strategy, the uh, the simplest way to look at it is we are a research service provider and we deliver the value add by doing a very high volume velocity of events on all different topics. The topics are ch- uh, chosen by the obvious ones, <laughs> you know, you know, the Facebooks, the Googles, you know, the Amazon. Uh, and then also we'll throw in there recent IPOs, recent SPACs, special interest. Maybe there's an activist involved. Go down the list, but the schedule is dictated by sort of disruption and rate of change. And once again, the listeners are subscribing to the BWG paywall channel because they're getting a real time pulse of trends. We do all these on a repetitive basis. And if they do the calls with us on a repetitive basis, they can see the clear change in trend lines through the repetitive nature of the events that we do. And then BWG Connect is 
a bedded lead gen service where we work with logos such as Klarna, Amazon, Alibaba. I've never heard of Sizzle. these names. <laughs> you know, Adobe, go down the list and hey, they have found direct or indirect value in DWG's audience one way or the other. And we formalized a commercial relationship where we tried bedded lead gen for them. We don't paper or negotiate as a channel partner anything. The executives that run that business for me, Aaron Conant, does brand consulting. They understand where there's pain points and they guide lead gen either from the events that we host or from the free consulting that Aaron does on driving lead gen to a partner ecosystem of no. BWG Connect. No, that's great. And many of these things we could see on your website, but you also have an offering called BWG Insight Reports. Tell us more about that. Sure. If you take a look at a call that you've been on before, social commerce, right? You know, on that call, we'll have the group of direct-to-consumer brands, marketers. We'll have incredible consultants like yourself, Rick, and we'll have... Emphasis on incredible. (laughs) Uh, You know, and other things like that. So on a social commerce call, we had five to 10 executives sharing views in that 60-minute discussion. If we were to do a social commerce insight report, fancy word for a BWG survey, which we leverage Qualtrics as the survey platform, you know, we'll do the social commerce question bank, and then we'll go out and outreach and get a completions of call it 50 to 100 rather than five to 10, right? So if people find value in the BWG strategy social commerce forum with five to 10 executives, we amplify that by going to 50 to 100. We give the report to those that complete it, plus a de minimis gift card, call it you know, $20, $30, $40. And uh, that's what consists of our insight reports, BWG surveys. Got it. I have to figure out how to get in that gift card pipeline, Bill. <laughs> I'll put you right at the top of the list. Exactly. One of the things, and, and one of the reasons I think you're such an interesting guest, Bill, is that ultimately, like, if you look at what's driving this whole flywheel that we call e-commerce, it's either public equity money or private equity money is driving the whole ecosystem. And that's all the stuff that we follow closely here on the Watson Weekly. And so knowing how the markets think gives you an idea of where the puck is moving. And so I wanted to transition the interview a little bit to talking about a few major topics that seem to be on the minds of a lot of investors, entrepreneurs, service providers, all the things that we really cover on the show. What do you see are some of the biggest problems or areas that investors are are spending the most time thinking about from your point of view? You know, I'm going to leave off the list this little thing called COVID-19. I'll leave off the list rising interest rates. I'll leave off the list geopolitical problems like Ukraine. I'll uh, leave off the list, you know, financial market volatility. (laughs) Are you saying you're like Dennis Rodman going to North Korea, negotiating? uh... Uh, Pretty much. I think you you nailed it. But, you know, I mean, the point of the matter is there's a lot of macro top-down things that are driving people's thinking well above any sort of e-com platform selection, right? So leave all those items to the side, right? Because our platform or all those things investors do very much care about, but we're not providing policy insights on what 
may or may not happen with Russia and Ukraine or, you know, the point of the matter is, you know, we're not bringing on Dr. Fauci to decide where the pandemic is going next, right? So what do I see is very clear, you know, line of sight, Uh, you know, so the biggest investor topics that are recurring in nature across the stack of e-com payments and media where you play, Rick, I would say everyone continues to care and probably more, not less, about this little thing called cooking and data deprecation, starting with the iOS uh, change, IDFA, ATT, and obviously everyone's under the assumption it's when, not if, for Google cookies to deprecate, you know, their version of an ID for advertiser. So that's number one, because there's a massive dichotomy in performance. Take a look at Google's report and guidance and take a look at Facebook's report and guidance. And you can even peel it back. You know, you can even peel it back differently. You know, the difference between Facebook, which was down the most, I think, in, in its career as a public company, and then take Snap which was up 50% after they reported, right? So so number one is investors care about any and all to do with this little cookie, <laughs> cookie and data deprecation thing. Uh, I would say that is probably number one, two, three, and four relative to sort of the paid media stack. But, you know, I'll, you know, I'll tell you, people care about that because, uh, you know, the composition of a lot of these storefronts are from SMB or mid-market or enterprise merchants that drive DR performance conversion by leveraging those cookies, especially off, you know, you know, off of Facebook's owned and operated, right? So there's many different ways to peel this back, whereby, you know, people care about the IDFA going away and initially about Facebook, but then there's you know, there's this, you know, the onion peeled back further. Hey, what does it mean for Shopify and big commerce storefront GMV growth, right? How has, you know, how has supply chain impacted that as well? I, I know this is fascinating because obviously there's a multi, I don't know how many trillion dollar advertising industry, which relies on all this tracking technology that you're talking about. I expect that's why a lot of investors care about it because most of the FANG stocks, which have been the biggest growers in the last 10, 15 years, they're all dependent on some kind of tracking technology. And what are the brands that you're talking to? What are they thinking about all this? So I would say the most common thing that everyone says is uh, trying to figure it out, right? right? So what are, you know, I mean, what are people doing? People are you know, what's the most common things that people are doing? It's if there is bottom of the funnel consequence through any of these iOS deprecation, deprecated channels where they lost signal, number one, their share shift into where signal was not lost. This goes back to your original point about just look at Google Q4 earnings versus Facebook's. So, you know, in backward looking, absolutely. What are people thinking about, whether it's investors or marketers? Everyone's talking about leveraging first-party data, right? Mm. Uh, That's number one. Um, Number two, ecosystems that leverage first-party data uh, don't have consequences, uh, you know, for this, including Amazon retail media, right? Right. There can clearly be some consequences on DSP and some off-site stuff, but, you know, the reality of it is any massive wall garden 
i.e. Amazon, that has first-party data, they can leverage it. And then there's all things, uh, you know, an acceleration of adoption of things called customer data platform CDPs. There's faster adoption of data onboarding tools like LiveRamp and Newstar and others to leverage customer and data matching offline to online. People are leveraging this little thing called email a lot more. By the way, BWG strategy sent north of 20 million emails last year to do what 20 million emails, Bill? Plus, plus, plus. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, So, you know, we haven't gone down the pets journey. Obviously, we're just purely B2B marketers. But so, you know, at the end of the the day, leverage first-party data. Leverage the Android ecosystem until you can't anymore because that's still a signal. Leverage email, leverage text, leverage some programmatic broader audience reach because those that purely focus on upper funnel, you know, I mean, hey, Facebook's owned and operated still work just fine for reaching audience mid to upper funnel. It's just the consequence on losing that signal and ability to attribute with Facebook at the bottom of the funnel, although there is an accelerated adoption of the social publisher tools, including the conversion API and the event management. People are doing the advanced data connections to give Facebook you know, the right to get all that CRM data and full server to server. So I would say the majority of people are doing all those different types of things. Uh, hey, if I'm having performance infringement due to IDFA, where am I shipped into? What am I doing as far as CDP or live ramp data onboarders, et cetera? And once again, it's all dependent. Are you an SMB, mid-market or enterprise merchant? What's your, what's your funding and resources available to, to be able to deal with this? No, for sure. And I think your point about the flight to retail media is well taken. And, you know, Amazon is going to continue to be a beneficiary for this. Google, for obvious reasons, because they have a little bit of their own walled garden that is defensible from Apple. Whereas Facebook, look, it's no secret why Facebook tried to create their own phone before, because they wanted control over what's going on and never really worked, worked out for them. I don't know. I mean, Facebook is like stuck between a rock and a hard place here. Another topic that we were talking about before is this whole debit, buy now, pay later space, which I always find like super fascinating. This is not only the ability to pay in installments without using a traditional credit card product, but also the rise of debit accounts themselves, Venmo, Square Cash app. I mean... I remember the bad old days when you were told to never give your debit card to anyone, especially online. And it seems like that's like really far in the in the rearview mirror. Why does this space hit investor radars? Because just like how media dollars follow time spent, right, and where consumer eyeballs are, the same thing, dollar flows into VC, then private equity, and and ultimately into public equity is where, for this uh, balance of checkout, balance of tender share goes. And we all know the adoption rates of consumers initially focus on some of those unbanked, right? And I think that's where clearly the funding mechanism skews towards debit versus credit on these but, you know, the whole overall cohort 
is deemed as those that are unbanked, you know, for the most part. But, you know, I mean, hey, look, I mean, you've seen the adoption of these as a percentage of checkout. And now it's it's gone from balance of checkout with little consequence to the customer service departments. And generally speaking, the merchants that onboard these solutions are, you know, I mean, hey, you think about what Klarna, Sezzle, Afterpay, Affirm, they all evangelize about. Hey, we're going to drive new customer acquisition from our merchant guides. We're going to, we're going to see, you're going to see higher AOVs. You're going to see better frequency. You're going to see better approval rates. Go down the list, right? Well, you know, all things that DTC merchant theoretically should care about. Merchants that onboard these solution providers, at least at tier one, actually sing their praises that the KPIs are hit. And not only are they hit, those that have unichannel go from .com to want to put it across all channels because it hit KPIs. And on top of that, there's even a trend of rolling out multiple paylaters because, you know, if I rolled out Klarna and they have a unique user base, you know, I want to, you know, am I thinking that a firm and Sezzle or Zip or, uh, or any of the others have unique user bases? And if so, do I want to get that tender optionality, right? To wrap up your question, I think investors are following the share of tender, the share of checkout. These companies are very well funded. It's been proven out and people expect it go from online to full uni channel with all things from actual cards to, you know, hey, they have this user base that they can then monetize in a lot of different ways, you know, other than just a modern day installment layaway plan. Right. I find like, one of the more interesting things about these companies is several of them, Afterpay included, and, and Carno's in this bucket, payments is part of the product, but marketing is, is another big part of it. And, and you mentioned that in your answer because the value prop for a brand to adopt these new payment tenders is not only the sort of the con- consumer convenience, but it's just consumer introduction to your brand and they will market on your behalf to these consumers. That's kind of what you're getting to. Directionally, yes. And let's think about Amazon advertising placements, especially with starting with search, right? I mean, now it's, you know, $30 billion plus run rate. And most people believe that it's in a Ultimately, Amazon will get to $100 billion because they're going to aggregate all these video assets and, and get offline through CPG dollars as well, right? These payment solution providers, Klarna, one of their biggest initiatives is all their media services, right? And uh, Klarna actually doesn't care whether you're a Klarna merchant or not. You can spend money to drive to your own .com. All of these providers, if they don't have an ad placement to grab those high margin dollars on search results, they will all roll one out, in my opinion. Just a question. Like, you know, everyone started with Amazon and then Wayfair, Overstock, go down the list. Every single online retailer or marketplace rolled after. Everyone's assuming that these buy now, pay laters all, uh, you know, ultimately have a media offering as well. If you look back to the history of many marketplaces, this is not the first time it's happened. If, if you go back to sort of the formation of Airbnb, one of the first things they did was just literally scrape Craigslist real estate ads and import them into Airbnb with zero permission from anyone just to show that, hey, we're a site, we have all these listings. 
illegally or maybe without copyright attribution or anything like that. And it sounds like that's kind of what's happening here. And it, it's definitely, I, I, re- I remember in the past five or seven years, particularly being in New York City, all the restaurants complaining about the fact that they're on these sites and now they have lines of people and upset customers yelling at them for something they didn't do. The, the driver ate their food on the way to their home. Restaurant didn't do that. You know, the Uber driver did. You have no control over your own experience with those things. And I mean, this is something we talk about a lot on the on the podcast here, which is the reason direct to consumer is so important is that not only do you own the customer, but you own the delivery of your experience of your brand to that customer. Whereas on a marketplace, you you kind of don't. It's fascinating to hear buy now, pay later is kind of following that same script. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, take the top three beauty brands that we would all know, the prestige that you'd walk into at the department store. The chief digital officer from one of those beauty brands is gave the example, oh, wow, this buy now, pay later. Our logo is on their merchant guide. The reason I knew it was on their merchant guide is because our customer service desk started to get calls in about returns or payment or everything else. And then, you know, I, I outreached and candidly, uh, you know, this by now pay later is now in our pipeline because they proactively did it whereby it pissed me off. It worked because now I'm in discussions with them. It's crazy. I mean, the whole space, it seems like at the end of the day, I don't know if you agree with this or not, but in about five years, buy now pay later is just going to become exactly like a credit card and there's not going to be any differentiation. The reality of it is these buy now, pay laters are trying to figure out the rewards game, the physical card game. They're going across channel, right? So, you know, you know, if you take a look, Square bought Afterpay, Affirm is a pure play here in the U.S. And then, you know, for whatever reason, this trend started in Australia. So you have a lot of, you know, Afterpay was an Australian based and public company. Sezzle, you know, is in the process of coming public here versus Australia. But at the end of the day, who's, you know, in the crosshairs? Uh, Hey, you had the private label card guys, Synchrony, come out with, you know, they've always been in this area with Care Credit and in sort of the medical election uh, area. You know, I mean, hey, look, whether it's issuers, issuers are coming out with their own buy now, pay later, white label. The PLCC co-brand need to get in here. The networks are going to get in here. Everyone's in an attempt to defend their moat. Right. It seems like PayPal's on the crosshairs too. Well, I mean, they had PayPal credit. Then they try to modernize by going from PayPal credit to paying for. The reality of it is, why do people like Klarna and when a firm and others because of the demo of their cohort of the user base. It's new, it's gaining share, et cetera. Generally speaking, there has been less fanfare on the metrics that pain for is being hidden because it's less of an incremental user base to drive customer acquisition, et cetera, because are you getting anything new uh, if you add a PayPal credit or PayPal up on your site versus paying for, right? Is it really driving new incremental users? I'll tell you, you know, the PayPal sort of ecosystem is in merchants are much more excited about getting pay with Venmo on board it <laughs> to try to leverage that, you know, 
hundreds of billions of dollars that are sitting dormant, you know, in debit accounts. Yeah, including Amazon, which recently onboarded them. Yeah, for sure. So the biggest or the big can't ignore them either. Kind of uh, wrapping up a little bit, kind of on the more personal side, I know you're extremely committed to and deeply involved in philanthropy as well. Uh, Why don't you tell me about that? I have uh, one very specific initiative that I care about and because it, it hits close to home. I have uh, I have four kids overall, but I have twin girls that are 12 that were born at 29 weeks. My one daughter has cerebral palsy, which is essentially brain damage caused right before, during, or after birth. And you know, my you know my girls were born at 29 weeks because my wife's umbilical cord was tied in a knot, and my daughter had uh, brain damage. So since I've learned all about this, uh, and previously I could barely probably spell, you know, cerebral palsy, but, you know, I got very involved at the highest levels, the local levels. It's a passion for me. There's select alternative therapy that kids with CP gain tremendous benefit on that we leverage for my daughter. So that's the number one sort of passion and heartfelt involvement. Uh, and I try to over index my time there, but I'm a believer in helping those that can't help themselves. And that's where I like to focus my available time and resources. No. And that's, uh, you know, I can tell, obviously you're, you're speaking from the heart here and my heart goes out to uh, your family on this. If listeners want to contribute or learn more about these things, where's the best place for them to go? I have three to four different areas that I've been intimately involved in from fundraising to support with time. Uh, I would say anyone that cares about cerebral palsy or wants to learn more with it, probably the easiest conversation is with me direct. uh, And people Mm -hmm. can email me at bill at bwgstrategy.com. All right. Bill at bwgstrategy.com. I appreciate you sharing that. And in terms of BWG, where where can listeners find out more about your firm and how to get a hold of you? Relative to our company, BWGStrategy.com. You know, we host these forums, which are a fancy word of calling them a, a conference call. We'll do probably 3,000 of them plus this year across six moderators. By the way, we're looking to hire three new moderators in expanding sectors of consumer retail, industrial logistics. And then if you think about uh, the other part of our business, uh, Insight Reports, once again, we're going to do 3,000 forums. We'll publish approaching 200 Insight Reports uh, this year. That's on the BWG strategy side. And then uh, obviously you had asked me, Rick, on BWG Connect, which I highlighted as well. Anyone that wants more information on any of this, they can go to, once again, bwgstrategy.com or Outreach to me directly, bill at bwgstrategy.com and always happy to get on the phone or share information. Awesome. And you know, for listeners out there, if you've not met Bill directly, Salt of the Earth, really one of the one of the greatest luminaries and visionaries in the industry. So I, I really appreciate you spending your hard-earned time today uh, away from your family for a moment for the listeners on this podcast. You're a good man, Rick. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you, my friend. That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly Podcast. 
your essential e-commerce digest. Our show is produced by Citizen Racecar. Alex Brower is the producer and also wrote our theme music. The executive producer is David Hoffman. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.